Welcome to Hollywood 2.0. This is Peter Katz. Today our guest is Matt Doherty, Associate Director at Ogilvy and Mather, one of the top marketing communications companies in the world. I invited Matt on the show after reading his awesome slideshow, The End of TV as We Know It and the Birth of Transmedia, that he co-wrote with Doug Scott, President of Ogilvy Entertainment. We discuss branded content and telling stories across multiple platforms. And I oversee global digital creative and uh, digital strategy, uh, which is interesting. So my past role was actually a creative producer in our entertainment group. Um, And kind of it's been an evolution from that to here, uh, where it's more hands-on creative production to more of like this creative and strategic consulting role. But in both roles, there's been a similar kind of need for, you know, looking at creative stories, architecture and the consumer and um, almost architecting stories in a way, but not just the physical story or the story itself, but then looking at digital and how can you start to embed like this participatory experience and look at the audience's journey through the story and using emerging technologies and digital and social and mobile and really using that understanding the relationships then between the content we're creating the context in which the audience is in, and culture to really just kind of create this all-encompassing story world that interconnects the audience or the consumer, uh, the narrative, and create a pretty pretty kick-ass brand campaign at the end of the day. And would that fall under the category as transmedia? Um, yeah, totally. Uh, you can kind of call it whatever you want. I, I'm a fan of the word. I know certain people kind of go back and forth on it. But, um, you know, I think it's a great starting place and mindset to kind of see that w- word itself and kind of look at like the creative and strategic mindset that you need to actually use to build out a larger world than just like a linear storyline or like a simple like campaign with a message at the heart of it versus like an actual piece of content at the front and center and then blowing that out. So why now is it more important to have a transmedia mindset? Um, I think it's just more looking at the evolution and kind of role of the audience or the consumer itself. You know, it used to be very just looking back 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, the audience is very passive. You know, they're in front of a radio, they're in front of their TV, and they're just hearing and viewing content. Um, You know, and then as digital began to grow in like the 90s and to now, that digital has in a way given us more devices like mobile, like the second screen or multi-screen or whatever kind of screen experience you want to create. Um, The audience now kind of almost has a sense of like authorship um, to the stories we create and kind of wants to physically participate. And so I think it's important more than ever to kind of hear and in real time react uh, and have a story grow to what audience members want, you know, not just sitting by the wayside, but actively engaged and kind of rewarded in a sense then when like the story is talking back or the characters kind of hearing an audience member talk and vice versa. You see Comic-Con and it's kind of uh, all this activity is taking place where you see people on the most, you know, invested form of fandom where they're dressed up as the characters and they might even take on this personality. So you have like the very casual fan who's watching an, a Marvel film and they're like, oh, I'm a kind of a geek. And then there's other sides of the spectrum. Are you actively trying to get the fans to be even more into the like more invested or are you just kind of people could kind of be casual and it's fine, but you just speak to them in a different way? Yeah, I think that's that's all kind of the way of like architecting and building out that world. I mean, you're going to have such a varying spectrum or degree of audiences, you know, going back to maybe those ones that just want to remain passive and just go and view like one of the Avengers movies versus every single piece and like know the backstories and get it and out. Um, so I think it's really important to kind of look at the complete picture 
map out the complete story and then kind of look at certain elements um, and kind of see where more people will heavily get invested in or not. And that's even a matter of when you look at clients, like where would we actually allocate the dollars and the creative then? Because uh, they want to return an investment. They want to see something. But um, I think it's a really careful balance. But if things start to just kind of click and you're getting excited and you know, you're putting it in front of people and they're getting excited, um, I, I think it just automatically happens for the audience to like go on certain paths. But it is a varying degree and kind of like, you know, tree-like structure of, you know, how do we build in an engagement? Where do we want players or people or the audience to really get involved? And, you know, where might they not? But there's enough of a nugget there that if they were to go down some kind of rabbit hole, so to speak, they can still get excited and see how things connect um, versus very passive or active. So I see that you're trying to entertain the various types of users, but you're not trying to convert one to the another type. You're not trying to go, all right, I'm going to take you from this platform and then I put you here, I put you here. You're letting you're letting it happen organically. Yeah, totally, totally. Because I think when you start to actually force the story upon someone, it goes back to like that kind of you know traditional like appointment viewing. You know, now it's more if I want to actually seek that out. Um, you know, we're, we're we're finding ways to do that. So, you know, for instance, we created this interactive graphic novel at Ogilvy, our Coca-Cola team with Fanta, and in a sense, they were offering more of a backstory development through. Uh, their actual social page so that stuff sits there and you can actually trace the timeline and people can read through if they want to go deeper and deeper down but the backstories aren't forced upon or you're not told you have to go here um, and this interactive graphic novel too um, is online but you could even it was a linear story but you're able to break it up in a non-linear fashion so I think it's important to give the audience choices um, and the more choices the more that they feel that they're in control and the more that they're going to want to return back to the story, look for more information, um, then kind of feel forced that it's like, all right, you completed like X and Y, now go do Z now. You know, I, I want to go do Z now when I want to, or I want to go back and find out more about that Y element, so to speak. You're giving them the power. It's almost yeah. like if you're on Instagram, you could switch from post to post pretty fast. You're almost fast, I think faster than Facebook, because Facebook, it's not so, you're not relying on the image. So Facebook, I feel, is a little bit of a slower experience. And I think when you tell stories on their platforms, you have to feel how they naturally consume information. So if they're enjoying reading the comic, just looking at pictures, it's fine. Or if they want to read text. But you got to give them enough of a range to experiment and play. Or I feel that people don't want to be associated with like being forced. I mean, like you said, like traditional TV where it's appointment viewing. Oh, completely. You know, even just looking at how you brought up Instagram. I mean, when I go on my iPad forward or you know, get some like third party app or on my phone, I'm just scrolling through real quick. And if, you know, I like something or I see something I like, it's like, boom, like, and then to the next, you know. So it's all, it's really understanding how the audience, the consumer, were using devices. And even from like that digital sense, you know, remember like a year ago, everyone's using the iPad, you know, their tablets to view video content. Then like three months later, these like marketing and research companies are telling us, no, it's like e-commerce. Commerce is being purchased first. So it's kind of always knowing what's the evolution and kind of role of that audience behavior because that's really, really important too to make sure that we're allowing the right interactions on the right devices to occur. Yeah, I'd say it's, it's a lot of seeing what's happening now and predicting. It's a lot of, a lot of challenges. And what, what have been your favorite projects that you've worked on that lived on multiple platforms? And, and what were some of the moments that you felt, oh, I could have done this or made a mistake, but other moments you feel like this is it, that you hit your stride. Like what were the, I guess the overall challenges of this new media landscape? 
Right. Um, well, it's not even a piece I worked on, but our Ogilvy Paris office created this incredible um, content, immersive content experience um, for Perrier, which is called Secret Place. And essentially it was like this 90-minute film broken up through like 60 character point of views, but really kind of brought into this idea of like gaming mechanics and gaming behavior. And when I'm saying gaming too, I'm not talking about like gamification and that whole like kind of loyalty reward program points where as you do things you accumulate badges and point structure. I think that's like been there done that. And it's a great, I think in a CRM world, consumer relation management and uh, loyalty marketing, it's a great incentive there. But what this piece of content actually did was um, take a whole game like structure. So where you actually had like a heads up display involved in it. Um, there's an element of time. You, like, each time you went to go view this quote unquote 90 minute film, which is broken up into a series of like two minute point of view experiences where I would come in in the point of view of one character, but this interactive film actually allowed you to jump around quickly and, you know, kind of at the end of the day, you're trying to seek out this golden bottle of Perrier to win like some of these ultimate vacations. But the, the idea that there are 60 different points of view, um, you know, and over like 10,000 different unique experiences to kind of each time you play go through. Um, I, I love that because it really starts to drive home this like kind of gamified, storytelling experience and in a way it like disinter it disintermediates and kind of disrupts a traditional narrative structure like linear um i don't even know what you kind of call a story like structure like this period example i'm discussing but i just love the idea of building in gaming behaviors into um, projects right now just because i think everyone everyone more and more is becoming a gamer i think everyone has their mobile games on their device you have your ps3 your console gaming um it's just such like kind of a awesome use of play because as you get people to play they're in themselves like creating a story because once you play something you want to go tell the person what you just did so gaming and play um more and more as we're like concepting um the faces with our clients and the role i'm at now i we're always trying to hone in that idea and like uh, bring it to the table no oh, it's it's a great i i feel that as people consume more content on the ipad there just needs to be more you know invest Thing in that space, whether or not it's an advertising or a film studio, I mean, or even a record label. There was a, a guy, Scott Snibby, who was on my show who helped co-create the the Bjork interactive album. You know, so it's great. You have this interactivity that you apply to albums. So it's it's fascinating that you're taking something that people are familiar with, and then like you have this film structure, and then you have to reinvent yourself as a storyteller. I mean, a lot of people go stories. They don't change. It's a good story. And that's great. But I think when you have more tools, they definitely change. Do you feel yeah. that? Do you think that stories are definitely changing because of this? Or is it just like this, you know, obviously the traditional act structure and everything that people are used to? Oh, totally. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like you were saying, like the story's always going to be there. That's kind of like this constant that we all, we've been living upon for thousands of years. Just we're humans. We tell stories. That's what we do. But as we kind of look at digital and like those interactions you're talking about, there are so many different ways that um, we can kind of look at a story now and begin to like really blow it out. Like even, you know, we used to have that traditional like 360 campaign wheel. You know, when I'm actually thinking of the content we're developing with our teams and like other creative partners and strategists, you know, there's such a bigger world that's filled with, um, you know, your traditional campaign techniques, uh, screen approaches, you know, as you have your tablet and your mobile, your laptop, you know, is like they're, there's different ways of a multi-screen, a second screen. I think there's a whole coherent synchronization, like all these kind of theories of the ways that the screens connect to each other and how thinking came up with, or an idea can come up with um, 
gaming, like we talked about earlier, like the idea of role playing, taking turns and the time. Um, we talked about campaign tactics, even if to start thinking about the ways that you're starting to like distribute the stories, um, you know, and the, and the actual like story type of elements in that narrative design, you know, you have like linear stories, nonlinear stories, uh, stories of myth building Then within stories, like all those big, like myth mythological and objects that people start to identify with. And like, that's the harder that character. Um, and even the role when we develop characters now thinking of not just character development, but audience development. Um, and how that character listens to the audience because we can do things in real time now with data and all these interactions and kind of then, you know, vice versa. How does the audience listen to the character and how they interact? Um, and then the whole world of like online, offline blurring, you know, where things can happen out on the street, you know, outside of your living room. Um, and then constantly thinking of, okay, at this certain point in the story or what we're trying to get someone to experience, what's the role of the audience? What kind of feeling do we want to evoke? You know, how personalized does it get? How customized? Um, their participation level at certain points things should be passive but at other points when do they become active so I just think like that really that idea of digital um, has just given us such a huge toolbox uh, to like use and like quote-unquote abuse uh, to really just make these amazing stories and story worlds that people want to get lost in and people getting lost in the story worlds is very important because there's that uh, solitary you know where you're on your computer and you just want to consume content and you don't want to interact with anybody you want to shut down your Facebook chat but there's other sides of it when there are people you know and then there's people you don't know yet and I think that uh, brands and storytellers should figure out how do you facilitate the interaction between various people I mean sometimes you go to an awkward party and no one talks to each other they stare around they're just looking for somebody to help kind of bridge that right. uh, conversation and I saw in Comic-Con a lot of the stories and then these characters that were there it helped give people a way to interact it was kind of like greasing the the wheels for social interaction when you create these big sprawling you know experiences do you also consider how each user might interact or engage with a stranger oh completely and i think that it goes back into the whole sense of you know the, i think those kind of ideas are hard to retrofit later so you really have to be thinking of this idea of like dual content where you're creating content that can be taken at the individual level so you or me i'm watching it i'm viewing it i'm taking part of the interactive graphic novel, I'm making these choices, I'm going down this path. But then also, like, how do all of those individual actions fit into, like, a much larger, like, narrative objective that starts to develop, like, a community around it, you know? And then when you start to see some of these things where communities develop, like, case in point, The Hunger Games, um, but for the first film, I think they did an amazing job of actually individually seeking out the fans of the books who are also going to become fans of the films and, like, your typical audience member if it's the profile getting them to become members of this hunger game story world like the city of Panem or the world of Panem um, and then they actually started to create these communities of content on Facebook where as they were assigned a district within the story role uh, there was actually like a district or a community that each of those individual members lived in and then kind of pooled together um, so I think it's really important to kind of balance like that individual uh, and collective role because uh, then eventually I think if your story's great you're gonna, or the world's great enough, you'll have its own independent communities kind of come together. Um, and I think that's when you hit like, you know, the best thing ever. Now we're talking about the immersive experiences and um, I'm a big fan of Netflix, but I feel that now they're allowed to like post on Facebook and social networks. Do you feel that Netflix could become a more immersive experience for film lovers around the world? Yeah, totally. And I think it's, what's interesting, cause we, we talk a lot of like, 
data and like that quantified self where that's more being like you've your fuel bands of the world and we have all these devices now that when we're using them it's creating data and even Netflix I'm watching my movies I'm liking certain genres um, but there's like still that I think there's like a privacy level there and even to me like okay if Nike wants me to hook up my fuel band to my social. I'm cool with letting you know how many calories I burned or that I'm being physically active. I sometimes wonder too, like, okay, what I'm watching on Netflix, if I hook up my Facebook to it, and it's kind of been something that's held me back from doing that is, okay, like, who's out there, like, thinking, oh, you're watching, like, a bunch of, like, kids flicks or something. Like, I, so there, I always think that there's a privacy level that we have to come to terms with. But I think in the next, like, as we continue to keep on creating data and letting brands, like, tap into it and helping us form insights, um, and then actually giving us some, uh, rewarding us for those insights. So, you know, even if I share my data with Nike, when they know I reached mile 300 with my shoes after running for a month, will they offer me a new incentive to, you know, go get a new coupon? Um, so I think with Netflix, there, it'd be interesting to look at how they would start to compile all that Facebook social behavior as I finish watching House of Cards, you know, uh, all of a sudden with Facebook graph search, like I can actually identify who else has been watching House of Cards or Netflix can. And it'd be cool to if they start to develop like these community groups or something around certain genres. Um, and I know I think the whole Netflix Facebook thing is fairly new in the states, uh, but I think that'd be an awesome move for them to generate fandom um, amongst certain even television shows because that's where I usually watch Netflix a lot for is like the television content. I'll plow through a season of Breaking Bad or Mad Men, you know. Um, like, like it's almost like could you put an extra a layer of content that's on Netflix, like a unique type of commenting system that your friends could go, oh, dude, you got to get back to this moment here. This is very special. Something that there, it almost feels like you have this great content, but there's probably even more you could achieve. Well, you know, I mean, now I'm just getting my brain rolling a little bit, but if you think about like that Netflix viewing experience and you tap into social, you know, even like I'm thinking of SoundCloud right now, you can just, a user can tap in and leave a comment like, oh my gosh, like this is my favorite scene out of, you know, the last three episodes of Mad Men and like kind of, like hot like hot box or something where I can actually leave a comment so as I get to like minute three of the show like that kind of pops up that oh my buddy Peter you know this is his favorite scene or like this is like this was back in like last season like almost leaving like kind of connecting story plots that would be really cool actually yeah I just That's think there needs to be more uh, context like uh, yeah, it's almost like I don't know your significant other uh, you know likes this type of movies so you don't just show the movie, you write like add pictures of your life onto them. So there's like this dual screen experience that you're achieving simultaneously as you're watching it that you can't do now because most of that's driven, you have Twitter, right? right. And then Twitter does it and then you kind of get glue. But I think there needs to be a way that through like obviously your own private social network, you can engage with the content and others in a more personal way. Totally. Uh completely agree even if like you're you like i'm just thinking your significant other like there's that song from that movie that you love you know you can kind of pull it out and leave a note or something or you've watched a movie that had it in it like there's it's kind of cool to leave those little nuggets it's almost like a pop-up video from like vh1 days and stuff you know no it's a it, it yeah. adds a lot of it adds a lot of value it's it's definitely not easy to do and it's, it's easier yeah. to do um obviously with like with, with what twitter is achieving and i mean i know there are startups that are trying to add more like layers to it but it's it's very challenging now mm -hmm. i look at um a twitter and now they're kind of calling themselves a social soundtrack you know so this is kind of building on what we're talking about netflix is that that additional layer i was i was wondering what do you think of that you know and, and what does that make facebook 
Well, I think it's kind of funny enough. I think Facebook just came back to Twitter like yesterday on like kind of their earnings report. They're talking about um, their mobile ad spend, or they're not mobile ad spend, but their mobile ad revenues are going to kind of like jump through the roof. And Evan was kind of poking at Facebook like, well, hey, you know, Twitter is that social soundtrack. What are you guys? And I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but I know Facebook's like, hey, we're just as actively engaged. Um, at, on that TV viewing experience than Twitter. Um, but both kind of offer two different things. Twitter, you know, you've, you're limited to those 140 characters. So things have to be quick, witty, like on the spot. Facebook, you can like kind of more rant, um, you know, and you, I mean, you can kind of tag users in either one. But I think still Twitter might have the edge uh, just because it's so seamless and in a sense simple, you know, because Facebook, there's so many layers upon layers of things you can add to that status update or in the moment. Um, and I think Twitter more lends itself to that idea. Everyone's talking about real time now, and I'm reading um, Present Shock by Douglas uh, Rushkoff, and it's all talking about now and like the now that just happened a second ago and the now right now as I'm speaking and the now that's going to happen in the future. Um, and I think Twitter, because it's so nimble and agile, you, it's, that's why it's so accepted in kind of like that television viewing experience. It might have the upper edge. Now, since... The Twitter almost, in a sense, brings back the traditional appointment TV viewing because right. most people don't want to wait till Netflix creates this awesome, you know, immersive experience. They're, they want to engage with their fans and friends and the strangers when they're watching a show so they can all sit back. Could, could commercials be made that work more knowing that, that Twitter is that conversation? They work, is, there, is there ways to to do it organically, not tacky, but someone's like, oh, just hashtag this. People are not always looking at hashtag, but there's right. a way to do transmedia story extensions that are built outside of um, the commercials themselves. So it's not like, hey, we got a great commercial. It's funny. It's innovative looking, but it's not extended show. But if you could create extension of the show that builds out that you could watch it and then there's that Twitter and then you, it lives on the, on the dual screen too. So it's yeah. like, what do you think about that? I th actually, I think that is a huge part in where, where I think the kind of the industry is moving into this like real time marketing idea. And I think everyone's mentioned it before, but Oreo kind of killed it at the Super Bowl when the lights went out and they made that simple like tweet, which then turned into that like instant TV spot. You know, um, that's because now you're seeing more and more agency teams and clients uh, themselves actually developing these like, you know, real time now creative production teams that are, you know, it's not just like, oh, I had this quick witty idea, I'm going to do it, but we're actively, the industry is actively um, getting itself ready for those moments where, you know, it's not just going to be the Super Bowl anymore, but all these award shows and even just, I think, I think kind of everyone loves that kind of wittiness or that clever, cleverness or that kind of on the spot where you knew that like there's someone behind the screen actually like assessing what's going on and we can with digital again we are able to produce things so fast that you're able to react and then everyone's just like has this moment of like oh my god like that was awesome you know and so i think everyone's seeing oreo um and nabisco doing that it's just we're going to keep on continuing to see this this need or this drive or want to from consumers and uh clients and the agencies just uh forming their teams properly to produce these types of situations no, it makes sense. I mean, you have BuzzFeed, you have, um, mm -hmm. you know, a Cheeseburger Network. You have such fast content yeah. that the brands need to be as fast or faster. Exactly. And even, like, it's funny, like, I think, I'm trying to think where I read this at, but even, like, the life cycle of, like, that one piece of content. And though it might be huge and get, like, 100,000 hits or views, like, instantly in, like, one hour, I mean, then this, it eventually dies off. Like, it has a half-life, you know? So it's, like, 
how do then you structure these teams and I even know um, our own social practice at Ogilvy they've they're actually helping structure teams to and the client side and internally just to be able to react on the spot very fast and get the client approval and bust out the content um, and just be relevant you know no, that makes perfect sense and uh, kind of move on to another topic is this there's there's so many buzzwords flying around because industries are being disrupted. So every second it's like, this is where film is going. And I was like, no, there's another thought leader. This is where film's going. I yeah. was wondering, what are your favorite and least favorite buzzwords? Um, well, the one I loved the most recently was narrative collapse. And it goes back to that um, book, Present Shock, I'm reading by Douglas Rushkoff. And it kind of just is this idea that, it, I might be even butchering a little bit, but my interpretation more or less that, you know, because we're all inherently born with social. Like when we wake up, like your mom or dad have already created a Facebook profile for you. You're going to go use that to make your updates and have your Twitter account and Instagram and the 100 other social platforms you use for that one piece of utility. Um, so I kind of think that, you know, we, we need kind of these quote unquote transmedia environments, which I kind of like the word too. I mean, I'm not trying to use it and push it down throats, but it's such an easy way to sum up a mindset or an ideology or like just another word for like imagination that you can use like in front of your client, so to speak. Um, so I, I'm a fan of those words. Um, I'm trying to think words I don't like really. I think it's more the cliche like kind of marketing lingo uh, that you're forced to do with on the phone. But is there yeah. like a word you could just remove from everybody's uh, lexicon? Like you could just get rid of that word. Like is there one that you just ah God, I hate this one. Uh, well, I guess it's just more everybody wants to be agile and that agile thinking and that agile modeling and it's going to be here for a while because I feel like most projects you work on have to have some kind of that agile property. But like, you know, if something's not agile, we can't do it or they don't know how to produce like an agile like, strategy like boot, like no. So I don't know. I think I'm more or less those are the kind of words I don't like. I like more of like that narrative collapse. It kind of has like drama to it. You know, so when you do use it properly, um, you're kind of getting a point across. And I don't know if I actually ended on what that means, but I kind of think then since we're all telling stories through our social networks, really like the idea of like a true, everyone's a storyteller, but at the same time, there's so many stories out there, like what's good? Well, how do you even judge good anymore? So I, I've almost fall, we fall, fallen into that narrative collapse. And like you go back to entertainment properties or brands or even Transmedia covers so much, like politics, education. Um, I think there's a need just to kind of have these huge, strong worlds that have been built out and thought through um, that just kind of encapsulate a viewer and take them away from that one-off, like, status post and that level of, you know, narrative to this is a beautiful, like, piece of art, you know? No, it's um, – I, I really think that there's a lot more value in, in the world that you could live in. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, the Old Spice campaign was huge – Versus this kind of one little one-off. I mean, you also look at the power in the subscription models versus the one-off pay. It's like the film studios, they got to win you over every single time. But if you could figure out how to bring somebody into your world, whether or not it's uh, Netflix or HBO, you have so much more leverage, you know? If oh, totally. They're, they're living in your world versus every a week and you have to invite them back in. And I think Co like Coca-Cola um, does an amazing example of that as a brand where they've just like had this idea of open happiness and there's so much that they leverage through that and there's just this constant world that's centered around that. So I feel like from a brand perspective, they're amazing at it. Um, even some entertainment properties like The Avengers, incredible. Game of Thrones, incredible. Um, and it just looks to how large and thought out these pieces get. And I think it goes back to saying like, you know, so there's that need to just continually think of like, 
the larger story world picture because that's the world that's what people want to live in now we i go and make a facebook update that i just did this podcast but there's a larger story that's not being told through that you know and fits into the larger story world of my life i guess no i, I think it, I, I think it makes perfect sense it's almost like it's like netflix could spend more money to advertise their uh the, the subscription was saying no the life the lifetime use of facebook typically is most people don't get rid of it it just keeps chipping away at their card and i yeah. think you, it doesn't have to be a subscription model but if if you could create such a cool experience and know someone's going to be in it for like a couple of years you could do a lot more with it than oh yeah we got to spend money and then they come back and then we lose them again it doesn't seem it seems counterproductive and even and it's like like trying to push that marketing for a subscription base it's like you kind of look at these transmedia quote-unquote worlds but they do such a good job leveraging the marketers dollar from like the entertainment studio or if a brand is doing something and you know instead of just using that to push a message like a million times on a website through a banner it's like well you pushed this really creative message that drew me back into the story that I kind of forgot about or tapped me into something about like that you know that main character or just some element or like uncovered more of like this mythological object that like drew me back in and now that I'm back in and you know, now you got me, you know, and I'm ready for season two or, you know, the sequel or whatever it might be. You know, you're, you know, you're right, you know, and I guess when you, when you go back to certain successful campaigns online or even that they also live on TV and different things, it's almost like a, it's almost like watching Seinfeld. You kind of know when Kramer is going to rush to the door. You want him to rush to the door because it's kind of these, these habits, you know, it's going to be funny and you see a lot of uh, commercials. You even see it for the web of, uh, was it a dollar shave club? You kind of yeah. know the, the voice that that brand speaks they kind of know the world they live in and you know people get used to it now one challenge is you know when, when you talk to people about like branded content and is just people go well that's cool people like about it it gets all the press but then they always go what about you know like you know click throughs what about this so there's all these people there's like you have the critics and the people that lot it so how do you how do you could push against the critics how do you measure uh, the success for branded content what is a metric that could shut people up um, well, I think first it's like less looking, you can't just look at the individual piece of content that might have gotten those one million views on YouTube that if it was some kind of viral piece or you know, one of like several episodic structures or a completely interactive 90 minute you know, film broken up among 60 characters. Um, you know, measurement analytics and data is so smart now and this was even like three years ago we produced a reality show for a financial company. Um, and just the way that we're able to track an audience member from the minute we they they read a financial story on a site, which then you know we had a partnership that linked them into the actual um, episodic series of this one character amongst this financial show. Uh, you know, once once they did that one linkage, we were able to follow them through the whole site to how they used educational tools. Um, even once they got onto the actual financial company site, and the whole. Our whole big drive was like just generate awareness for this financial company, but in the end, we ended up opening up like a series of really large accounts, um, and only that handful is like a enough to like bring in a lot of money to towards the company. Um, so th that, that's one way. Um, and um, our Ogilvy Entertainment Group actually, and I can't really speak too much to the study, but really heavily looked at um, the. the I think piece was called like making mad making magic using logic and it was kind of using logic making magic one of the two and they were really just kind of looking into a return on investment off video plays and it's definitely something worth to check out if you're interested um, in kind of valuing content so to speak but all this content has to live in a larger world so it goes back to not just creating you know episodes one through twelve and it lives online or some YouTube series but you know what what where's the platform at and what other 
additions can I add to it so you can begin to track audience behavior over time? Um, even, I mean, this is not jumping too far off, I hope not, but it's amazing how we can look at for like an e-commerce perspective or like online, offline and taking people into actual re re like retail locations. Um, and even just plugging into a Wi-Fi in a retail location, we can begin to, you know, identify if that's a male or a female, um, all just based on these like free kind of public things we're actively giving away. So it's a really interesting world to kind of go in. And I feel like each piece in a branded content sort of campaign or platform, um, there's certain things you're going to have to leverage to look at data and analyze if it's working, if you're making a sale, if that's the objective. Um, so many different criteria to meet. No, that, that totally makes sense. And I think the idea that you could track them going to a store or attract a conversion because they watched a funny video or I mean there, there there are ways to make brand content a lot you know a lot more like you know you know driven by the numbers it still could be a piece of art but also it's a, something that it achieves both goals yeah and I don't and I every time you say like tracking and not just you but like we say the word tracking it kind of sounds so like dark and like disgusting but I think it goes back to as going back to that data thing, as we're creating data on our quantified selves and we're allowing more and more data to be offered back to the brand or the platform, whatever we're using, and then we're seeing incentives come back. Um, I think it's like Facebook and Cisco are actually developing like a Wi-Fi box, you know, or a router in for retail outlets. So as soon as I get to like, you know, a Best Buy or wherever I'm at, whatever retail location, you know, and I see that there's Wi-Fi available and I sign in, I Facebook connect through it. You know that's data. You're, that's data that I'm sharing, and you know it might be just knowing like maybe my age and like certain high-profile demographics based on me connecting. But it's we're going to begin to keep on giving up more and more. But we're also seeing return, you know, offers and incentives and rewards and like an analysis of that data and you know the brand or whoever it is forming insights to me. So I feel like I'm actually getting something out of it, um, which I think goes back to kind of the whole idea of like a transmedia story world is that as I'm participating and syncing up through my Facebook um, or identifying with a certain character or you know responding back or whatever it is you're seeing like immediate results in some cases or down the line kind of like a personalized story back to you uh, which just rewards the user um, and, none, and rewards outside of like getting a badge or points but actually feeling like you contributed to the actual story or had some kind of say in the plot. I think that's, that to me, that's when I start to like get off over it all. <laughs> no, I, I think it's, it's very interesting. And you know, you'll have branded content and I, and I imagine you also have uh, sponsors that will be better off of all this information. So it's kind of, the, I think the user will be better off is they'll be marketed more accurately versus stuff they'll never want. I mean, people don't complain a lot of times about Google ads because they kind of know what you're looking for and they give you what you want. Right, and I think if you take that with branded content, it works, and also with sponsors. If somebody sponsors a con concert, and they get their money's worth, they'll sponsor more concerts because they'll hit the right audience. And if they get them to, you know, try some, you know, experience or whatever it may be, a service you're providing, I think overall the the creatives will benefit and the brands will benefit. Completely, and um, going kind of in this whole notion of you know when all these are emerging tech and whatever else is being smarter and can adapt and like identify what we're doing as we share that data back and forth. Um, at CES, this past one in 2013, I was at the Technicolor booth and you know their cameras and other even Intel, but their Technicolor specifically, they were identifying actual emotions like that a user is experiencing on the spot. And I was just thinking now, okay, like if I have my camera on, if my, like my Kinect in my Xbox or like on my Mac or however I'm viewing the content, and you know, it's actually seeing that I'm taking, you know, I'm tearing up because of that love scene, or I'm tearing up because that character died, or whoever it is, you know. And 
us now having the ability to produce like an outcome of storylines or, you know, like looking at that Perrier example, 60 different points of view in a 90 minute structure, like to actually instantly kind of dish back out something else that might continue to like get that user emotionally bonded. Um, I think it'll be interesting from a brand perspective too and the briefing structure by strategists to creatives like actually identifying like, okay, this content will eventually have to like hit at like a certain beats per minute from your like your heartbeat or you know if like we want to get the like user actually upset like how do we make them happy um you know i i think it's gonna be it's a really interesting world i think in the next like 10 years well, you know, like what's i gonna happen yeah i i've i haven't tested it out live but i tested out film with fmri machines to see what was like the scariest point in a uh, film by checking their uh, amygdala so to see if the activation was there but you have to be in this giant fmri machine but the way you're looking at it is to see if they could just read you on the spot. It's 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 like Twitter, but it's like you don't have to constantly be opting in. It just does it as you feel, which is wild. Exactly. Totally. And then I guess that's kind of interesting. Like, is it what's the privacy layer there? Because it's actually a physical emotion that might be showing or like my body temperature or, you know, these are certain things that are kind of like out there in the public. But uh, it'll be cool. Well, you know, I don't, I don't think if you went into, I don't, I think if you went into a time machine, uh, ten years, and you met yourself or people, or you told them all about Facebook and all these social networks, they'd think you're crazy. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, totally. no, no one would ever do that. So who knows what people would do? For all you know, there's this new, you know, social experience where you show people how you feel without writing, and people are like, I don't want to write. So yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't see that as so extreme. Uh, just uh, moving on, continuing on the topic of branded content. Um, a few more questions. Uh, do you think this brand content will ever be as mature as like a Tarantino film, like an R-rated? Or do people look at entertainment as you can do any way you want? It's art, but brands have to play it safer. Um, it, I think. I mean, I think we've seen some pieces that have gone down like the Tarantino realm. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head what it was. I think it was for Absolute even, or um, I'm pretty sure it was Absolute. But we've seen. I, I know we've we've seen a spectrum of content from funny to sad to like dramatic and even with branded content and going back to uh, transmedia too like it covers such a wide variety of genres i think and genres even being not just like a brand or like a comedy or a drama but like documentary series um you know at ogilvy entertainment our group down there uh, actually works with dupont on this um you know it's it's a non-fiction actual like docu-series on like the future of world business and DuPont products like actually enabling like a change in the world um you know you're seeing even like the, the Obama campaign is like could be considered a transmitter some pieces of it are branded content program um so I, I think the, the definition of branded content is it's just like content you know it's well, just meant, I, I meant more like in a risque uh way because well, I saw like I saw oh, what it was it uh like I saw like a branded, I guess, I don't know what you'd call it, but you had a music video, but it was all POV of a guy going around kicking butt, like like Jason Statham style. Yeah. And there was well, a vodka was featured prominently, and I think they might have backed this short. Okay. And it's pretty hardcore, like pretty violent. You go, wow, they're just, you know, you know in, in the context of a feature film, you put a product placement and go, oh, all right, whatever, you, don't, you think about it, it hits you. But here, since the show's short, it felt a lot more like, uh, prominent it was all kind of wrapped around that and i was wondering does brand could branded content be r-rated right i think it's a very i mean like i think the contents there like we were talking um but 
it really comes down to like the audience and then i mean i feel like with out there on like the internet and everything it's such it's hard to you can't like once you put content out there nowadays like you can't control it anymore uh, i think mountain dew we saw that lesson learned with like tyler the creator coming on and creating those content that content series that really like blew up amongst uh like it was like kind of like defacing like females and it was mountain dew's decision to go through and put that content out um, I'm not sure anything more besides that, but you, I think it's a really fine line. Um, but much like you might have a beer website to punch in your date of birth to have access to the content, I feel like there are limits and guidelines to get around that. Um, but I, I, as a, when we talk to our brands and work with our brands, um, you know, it's just it's hard to control something once it gets out there, and if it like goes the wrong way, like you could really begin to hurt yourself. So I think part of that whole like getting clients to actively give up control of the content is actually really more hard like a lot more difficult than to actually you know put some guidelines around it and say it's great because you, nowadays you don't know how people are going to interpret things and if you get a bunch of like fans against one thing and you know it's on reddit and like 4chan like things can just blow up so i don't know if that's quite answering everything you're looking at but brands are still very i'd say modest in a sense there's a lot of trust like we have to develop a lot of trust with the brand and the client um you know, understand the content and then kind of understand how that content will then live so it's a lot more than just saying we have this beautiful R-rated Tarantino piece of art that could go on and win some great awards or a Palme d'Or. Um, it's, but it's more thinking like actually, okay, we put that out there. How is we have our core audience, but then even people that aren't even our audience, how are they going to react to it? Um, I think it's really important. And that's just going back to understanding your audience and how they'll act as like a character. When you look at like sites like you know Vice, they're probably you know the biggest you know brand for like more edgy content. And right. they get sponsors, and they have people to sponsor their content. So it almost seems like when you sponsor something, you're you're supporting it, but you don't you're not fully going. I'm going to produce the content and fully subscribe to the artist. So you're still supporting the artist, but your hands are not all over in a way that you know. I guess in the Mountain Dew's way, their logo was all over this video versus supporting like a concert and, that, and, and sponsoring it. Exactly, and that's like kind of where you go back to then like all those different levels of content and like that Vice's. That's Vice's original content. Again, like the a sponsor is just more you know, wrapping like their identity around it. But at the end of the day, they can kind of step back and say, hey, like that wasn't us versus, you know, Mountain Dew where, okay, they actually, this is Mountain Dew sponsored, con this is Mountain Dew content, not even sponsored content, Mo Mountain Dew content um, that I know they're trying to create some kind of storyline amongst like some Tyler's like vision, Tyler the Creator's vision. Um, so they actually had to take ownership of that, you know, and you can't just blame a sole source. So I, I don't know, like, I think it goes back again to, you know, how much, how our audience is going to react to it and um, really helping the client, like giving them to give up control. Because once you start to put content out there that is edgy, uh, controversial, whatever, um, it's, you, you can't really control that anymore. It's up, the audience is going to begin to control it, you know? Now, it almost feels that, you know, in the future, since you lose control, you have to adapt. You always have to learn, have to adapt. And all this technology is making the world transparent. It almost seems that the natural direction is having potentially more mature content because entertainment and brands are going to become one like biggest talent mm -hmm. agencies are going to brands i mean not edgy for edgy sake but just an r-rated movie or pg-13 film uh that almost feels like this whole kind of this they might all eventually merge and you will have a warning you can't get on the site just like buying alcohol but it's just the same thing you'd see like in a the expendables or something right and i think i guess kind of playing off what you're saying too is i think it's more not only then to have like the content creator, the brand actually give up the control and let this creative speak, but as you even, 
I feel like if you do something the right way too, and you gain the audience's perception of what your content's about, and over time, like you start to begin like getting a little bit more dramatic or putting pieces out there. And um, I'm thinking a great example out of our uh, Ogilvy Greece office. They did an amazing feature film um, that came out. But they built up a whole kind of story world before it and actually spanning like two years ago where it got to a point um, they had to gain, gain the client's trust to create these like dramatic love stories um, and, event, and it's this chocolate brand, uh, Lacta, and they created a feature film but leading up to that feature film they had a series of short films um, but one of the short films actually they created a world of like bringing these characters to life in Greece. Um, you know, from like their own quote unquote like cliche like Facebook profiles, but you know they actually created like U- a YouTube content series where you know these people were they seemed like a, the real deal, um, and then their love story was on like a you know a ninety minute feature film that I think was like number one in the box office for like wow. a month straight. Um, but it, you, you kind of saw it took the actual um, agency team, um, the client. To, it took it took them over like three or four years to get them from just they did some like one-off content series before and like a really cool kind of mobile augmented content app, but to actually get them into creating film content, um, and it even goes back to like what's the ROI or what did they gain out of that um, outside of awareness, which I'm, I think the sales were great too for the brand. Um, but all these things take time to actually get a client client to give up control because a lot of like that brand perception that audience is going to ultimately control what they think of moving forward when you actually start to develop content that you're speaking to play every all the players on board have to be on the same page and make sure that you know the expectations are are, once this thing comes out that there's no surprises that they know what this is going to be and um yeah i think yeah i think the the mounted to one that it felt almost like a hill mary didn't feel calculated yeah, you know, it didn't feel calculated. I even saw it and I was like, okay, like, it's edgy. It's being edgy, but is it just being edgy for edgy's sake? Like, because it wasn't right, like, connecting with me. And, you know, I don't know. Because yeah, you look at, like, the BMW series, and that's, like, one of the great examples of that working. It's like, yeah, that was kind of edgy. I mean, it wasn't what you typically think of a BMW. Right. Uh, but it was done well. There was a, there's a, tar- there's a target. I think, I think just the idea of controversy is, uh, it's just, you could, anything could be controversial. Bad food or anything bad could be, you know, create, you know, but it doesn't necessarily, it's not a, it doesn't achieve anything. But I think that uh, the idea of class or suspense or certain things that have value are interesting. That's good. But I built the Mountain Dew thing, which is kind of like never really, I never really understood what their, their goal was. But anyhow, moving on to the last question. Uh, you mentioned one book as uh, something that you're getting into. What are some of your favorite uh, blogs and uh, books that really inspire you? Oh, so for, it's, uh, we work with a ton of startups too. Um, so I'm on VentureBeat daily. That's great. Um, one piece of like this guy's newsletter that I've came across over the past couple of years, uh, Jason Hershorn, he does this like media redefined um, daily newsletter site. Um, but he's looking at all things entertainment, all things digital. Uh, you know the so, the Facebooks of the world, kind of di- anything that can be a digital weave to it. But he's so good at curating down to like an independent blogger out of like New Hampshire to, you know, major industry stories in the Wall Street Journal that you might have passed up. Um, I subscribe to that and it's just like giving me so many great talking points, knowing what's going on. Um, I love that. And it's funny, I follow a lot of just like kind of my like local colleagues, my work colleagues who have like really the strategists, the creatives, who kind of just how they curate and what's going on in their minds. Um, those are kind of some of the big three that I follow. Um, and then I'm a big gamer. so. Any gaming site from like Kotaku to uh, even within VentureBeat, they do a great gaming, like from a business sense there. Because uh, I, I really think gaming is just such a really important aspect to it. And the more that you can kind of learn how to like 
create games and play games, um, that stuff's great. And speaking of which, too, my last one I'll mention, um, I've been taking some great online classes through, uh, what's it called, uh, Coursera. And I've just found really interesting topics from, you know, gamification to, you know, creating, like, how do you, like, tell stories across, like, a mobile device. They have some really great um, content out there from, you know, professors from really uh, great um, universities who have awesome thought leadership. They want to share it with you and actually get you to produce projects. So that's kind of a few that are hot on my list right now. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hollywood 2.0, Spirit Cats. You can contact me at catsfilms at gmail.com. It's K-A-T-Z. If you have any questions or ideas, 